I have a return of the herpes simplex virus. COVID's not the only virus in the world. And it has, it is in my eye. I had it last year. And it has returned with a vengeance. Lights make it very, uh, my eyes very sensitive to light. And so this is a filter keeping a lot of the light out, making it possible for me to to manipulate, to see. And with all of that and everything else we're going through, it is well. It is well. Praise God. In the places where it's important, it is well. And if it's not well, we want to work on that this morning. I so appreciated Sister Joyce's uh, comments this morning. I could not help but remember many years ago, back in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, one of our uh, standard procedures was that the first Sunday of every month, we would have what we called the first of the month fellowship. And it was a, we were small church, so it was a small potluck. First Sunday, every month, after service at night, we would uh, bring and, and uh, have a, a small feast. And I remember the time when every family brought a dessert. We had no potato salad. <laughs> we had no fried chicken. <laughs> we had no bean casserole, green bean casserole. We had plenty of desserts. I think all of the kids slept on the ceiling that night. <laughs> Praise God. So our part, as we are going to be uh, dealing with this evening in the uh, volunteer refresh, and I hope you come from 6 o'clock to 8, and we're going to have different tables, different stations. You can see what is involved Many of you know what's involved, but we, we're lining it out, making things plain, and uh, we, we invite you to be with us this evening, 6 o'clock, and uh, be with us then. You have a contribution to make. You say, well, I can't do much. You can do something. I don't know how much of a contribution my little toe on my left foot makes to the overall scheme of things, but I'm, I don't want to get rid of it. I'm sure that there is some part that it plays, and uh, it, it may think, well, I'm, but look, folks, that little toe on my left foot is part of the district superintendent. <laughs> 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 and, 
And that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee somewhere, but don't forget the $5. Praise the Lord. And this morning, I want to go to the book of Jeremiah. And I'm not exactly sure where all this is going to go. Many of you have heard the story, I'm sure, of the the situation where I was called to preach to a, a, a congregation in Tulsa. I had either two or three weeks notice. I had plenty of time to pray, and I did pray. I had plenty of time to study, and I did study, and I couldn't get anything. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't anything to preach. Actually, you can, you can take any page in the Bible and there are good messages there. But uh, I couldn't get anything. It's not just to say something. It's to find out what the Lord once said. And my parents happened to come up and visit, be with us during that time. And so they were going down to Tulsa with us. I had a couple of new converts that were also going to travel with us. And so we, we, we had a bit of a crew going down to preach at, uh, my preaching at that church. And, and I, all the way down, all the way driving down that 50 miles from Bartlesville to Tulsa, I was sitting there at the wheel saying, Lord, what am I going to preach today, tonight? What, what's it going to be? And it was nothing, nothing, nothing. And <clears throat> we got there, we sang, we prayed, we worshiped, we had testimony, all the things that you do in a, in a service. And I'm sitting there with all of the rest of it. And, and what, what, Lord, do you want me to say tonight? What, what do I need to convey to this congregation? And I sat there with nothing. The pastor got up, and he began to introduce me. Now, everybody knew who I was, but, you know, there's just the formalities that you go through. And he turned the pulpit over to me, and I took my Bible, and on every step I took from the visitor's chair to the pulpit, I was saying, Lord, what do I preach? What do you want me to say? And I got nothing. And I stepped to the pulpit, and I laid my Bible down and just let it fall open. And it fell open to 1 Chronicles 1-1. Adam, Sheth, Enosh. And then continued down the genealogies of the family of Adam. You know, I, I was almost, if it had lasted a little longer, I would have felt much like the man who used that method to find the will of God. He just let his Bible fall open, put his finger on a scripture and read it. And it, it, it said, uh, <clears throat> Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> so let it fall open again. Go thou and do likewise. 
what thou doest do quickly. <laughs> but when the Bible fell open to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, look it up. Look it up. Adam, Sheth, Enosh. I suddenly had the message. And from Adam, Sheth, Enosh, I preached. You're not going to believe this is possible, but I pre preached for over an hour. <laughs> and 15 years later, people were still talking to me about that message. Hey, that wasn't mine. That wasn't mine. That wasn't mine. Well, I have been in wonderment, not nearly that bad. But I, I don't know if you understand how, how complicated what we are doing here can be, how many moving pieces there are. Sister Joyce sent the usual uh, notice to me, Brother Moss, can you give me the title and the scriptures for Sunday's message? That was sometime back in the week. And I finally sent her a, a, a message back. Uh, don't worry. I don't have anything yet. I'll get you what I can when I've got it. If you don't get it, I don't have it. <laughs> and when I pulled away from our district board meeting here yesterday, I think I left about 5.15. Sister Joyce was uh, working uh, the Sanger Bun parking and was taking care of the exit and moving the sawhorse back and forth. And, and I stopped and rolled down the window as I, I was leaving, and I told her something about, I don't have anything yet, but if I, if I get anything, you'll, you'll know. You'll, you'll get it. So last night, uh, I sent her what I'm about to read to you and a title to go along with it. It's in Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, I'm not going to say that this is something you'll talk about in 15 years. But I am going to say that I feel like that the Lord has spoken to me about something that I need to share with this congregation. And in Jeremiah 36, 1, the story picks up like this. During the fourth year that Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king in Judah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Get a scroll and write down all my messages against Israel, Judah, and the other nations. Begin with the first message back in the days of Josiah. And write down every message right up to the present time. So we're getting some information here on, on how part of the Bible was written. God spoke to Jeremiah and said, write all this stuff down. And uh, then he said, perhaps the people of Judah will repent 
when they hear again all the terrible things I have, I, the Lord, have planned for them, then I will be able to forgive their sins and wrongdoings. So the Lord's not just, just criticizing. He's not just threatening. He's bringing it to their memory so that they can repent because their lack of repentance is holding back his ability to take care of the situation, to forgive them, to wipe the scrolls, uh, the, the record clean. So Jeremiah sent for Baruch, the son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated all the prophecies that the Lord had given him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. Then Jeremiah said to Baruch, I am a prisoner here and unable to go to the temple. Another time the preacher was in jail. So you go to the temple on the next day of fasting and read the messages from the Lord that I had you write on this scroll. Read them so that the people who are there from all over Judah will hear them. Perhaps even yet they will turn from their evil ways and ask the Lord's forgiveness before it's too late. For the Lord has threatened them with his terrible anger. So the Lord is reaching for these people. The, the, the harsh sentence, the, the dire threat is not for destruction. It's for restoration. Can I let you know and understand God's not against you. God is on your side. We just sang about he's the one for me. Well, that's because he's for you. And then there are several verses here that I, I cut out of the story because it's, it's a, a bunch of lists of names and, and telling about how they, what he read it and these folks responded to it and they were going to do this and that and the other and, and had the whole list of all the important officials and, you know, all of the big deal. And well, let's pick it up in verse number 21 of chapter 36. The king sent Yehudi to get the scroll. Now they said, this is, this is so important, the king needs to hear this. So they went and told the king about it. And he, the king sent Yehudi to get the scroll, and Yehudi brought it from Elishama's room and read it to the king as all his officials stood by. So we've got the, this royal household, this, uh, this uh, official family of the, the court, and they're listening as the scripture is read or as Jeremiah's prophecies are read. And it was late autumn, and the king was in a winterized part of the palace, sitting in front of a fire to keep him warm. So they have these big palaces, and they can't heat the whole thing. So they get a room and, and, and kind of close it off and hang curtains and tapestries and, 
and keep the chill from coming in from all those rocks. And, and so he's, he's sitting there, and they've got a fire built. And each time Yehuda finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll. Then he threw it into the fire, section by section, until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they heard. Even when Elnathan, Dedeiah, or Deliah, and Gemariah begged the king not to burn the scroll. He wouldn't listen. Then the king commanded his son, Jeremiah, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shemaliah, the son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch and Jeremiah. But the Lord had hidden them. <laughs> when this whole thing started, Jeremiah couldn't go anywhere because he was in prison, but somehow, between then and now, the Lord has intervened and he's hidden these guys. And after the king had burned the scroll on which Baruch had written Jeremiah's words, the Lord gave Jeremiah another message. He said, get another scroll and write everything again just as you did on the scroll King Jehoiakim burned. Get another scroll. Do it again. Because you can't destroy the Word of God. Give me my title slide. Burn, Bible, burn. But when you burn the Bible, burn, you haven't destroyed it. <laughs> there was a famed atheist in France who many years ago said that within a within hundred years that the Bible would no longer be available, that it would have passed out of existence. No one would be interested in it anymore. So 100 years passed, his home, his very fine home of this atheist was at the time 100 years later, if I understand the story correctly, the headquarters of the International Bible Society. <laughs> and the collected works of this great atheist could be bought in a used bookshop for 
Burn, Bible, burn. Now, I, I don't want to make light of, of the fact of the tragedy that is involved for the person who burns the Bible. And for those who follow in his footsteps. For many, many years, I have been fascinated with a, a, a matter in relation to the genealogies, and you know I like to, I, I like to find things in there. It's, it's almost like a treasure hunt. But this man, Jeconiah, was also known, uh, pardon me, Jehoiakim, rather, was also known by Jeremiah by a, a nickname or something. He was called Coniah. Jeremiah called this king Coniah. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, there is a solemn pronouncement against this king, Coniah. And it says, count ye this man childless, for there shall no man, no son of his, who will ever prosper sitting upon the throne of David. In other words, that it was this king that had done something so terrible that God said, I'm not going to let any of his descendants reign as king again. And if you will go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 1, and begin to run down that genealogy, and you'll find it, it uh, starting there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on down through Jesse and, and David and Solomon and names that are so familiar to us, king after king after king of the nation of Judah. <clears throat> and the last king in that line, Jehoiachin in the Greek, and his son was not king. Now that's where the royal line goes. All the other kings that sat upon the throne after that that even were descendants of David, they were puppet kings. They were not the actual lineage of David that was going to be the king. That's not the lineage. The legal line went through this man. And God said, no longer are any of his descendants going to be king in Judah. I can just hear the devil snickering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lord, you promised. You promised David that of his of, of David's seed there would be a king that would sit upon the throne and rule forever. And I just cut off the legal line of the throne. And I've always wondered. What was it that was so bad that this man did? It was worse 
than the 55-year reign of Manasseh, who led the nation of Judah into tremendous idolatry and, and got them so far from God and was was captured and taken into Babylonian captivity, and there he repented and, and was restored. But that 55 years of tremendous wickedness wasn't enough for the Lord to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to let any of your descendants be king. But this man, he did something so bad. Well, what I didn't do is I didn't bring to you the rest of this reading because it is in just a couple of verses after this that God makes the pronouncement that because of what this man has just done, that's why there'll never be a king sitting on the throne of David, of his lineage. Now, I would tell you, don't worry about it. God's got it all handled. Because Jesus was born of the house and lineage of David through Mary, he fulfilled the prophecy of God to David. But through Joseph, he inherited the right to the throne without the curse of Coniah. Isn't our God wonderful? Burn, Bible, burn. But you see, the, the thing that I'm, I'm wanting to bring to you this morning or this afternoon is that this man burned the Bible or a portion of it, the portion that applied to his day, his time. They'd read a little bit of it to him, and he'd take his knife. King James Version says his pen knife, his pocket knife. I don't know if they had pockets in their robes, but anyhow. And he'd cut out what had just been read and burn it. Now, I, I was chaplain with fire department, and, and they had a, a saying that, They'd rather get your stuff wet than let it burn because it'll dry out, but you can't undo ashes. He was taking a final step. He wasn't just getting the paper all wrinkled up. He was burning it, total destruction of it, of an actual, literal scroll taken cut to pieces, and destroyed in the fire. It was serious business. People were standing there begging him, don't do this. Don't do that's That's not the thing to do. The Lord had, had sent the message in hopes that 
that he and all of the others around him would repent, that they would, they would see that the way they were going was the wrong direction. The Lord wasn't against them. The Lord was for them. The Lord wasn't trying to tear them down. He was trying to build them up. He wasn't wanting to destroy them. He was wanting to make them what he had planned originally. But he cut it and he burned it. Burn, Bible, burn. I'm not interested in keeping it. I'm not interested in applying it. I'm not interested in it having any power in my life. Around here, we've got some a vision frame, and it's been put up. And we've got all of these things that we're, we're going to be studying about soon and, and, and talking about and, and dealing with in our small groups. And, and one of the first ones we come across, our foundation stone for what we're doing is Word. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Word, it's what we're built upon. It's what guides us. It's what directs us. It's what strengthens us. The word. But Jehoiakim, Took a knife. I don't like that part. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Cost him. Cost his family. All the generations after. If somehow the Romans had been kicked out of Palestine, out of Israel, and they had restored the, the throne of David, and they had searched the lineage, ignoring the curse, and just come to find the man that they should put on the throne, it would have been Joseph. But Joseph could never sit on the throne because he was a descendant of Jehoiakim who said, I don't want this Bible. I don't want to do what this word says. I'm going to totally reject everything that God has said through Jeremiah. Burn, Bible. Burn. Brother Moss, that's not very uplifting. <clears throat> Have you read Jeremiah? But you see, 
there are other ways <clears throat> to destroy the scroll besides taking a knife and a blaze. Hmm. I just thought of that, a blade and a blaze. That would have made a good co title too. <clears throat> but I still like burn, Bible burn. You see, I can, I can take the Bible, not just the words of Jeremiah, but any place in it. And I can look at that and I can say, as far as I'm concerned, I'm cutting that out. I'm not going to let it apply to my life. In fact, I'm going to just destroy it as far as its influence on me is concerned. And I may read it. But as far as I'm, as its application in my life is, it's just ashes. I'm just turning pages of ashes because I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let it speak to me. Though the Lord is trying to reach me so that he can forgive me, He's trying to reach me so that I can realize that I'm not where I ought to be. He's trying to reach me so that I can repent, so that I can open, the, then he can open the floodgates. I take the lock off and then he can open the floodgates of mercy. Burn, Bible, burn. I remember many times and I, I don't know how many times I heard it in the, in the years when I was growing up. My father was a Baptist deacon. <clears throat> My mother in, in at least two Baptist churches was the general secretary treasurer of the local church. But more than once, more than twice, more again, I don't know. But I, I heard my parents make the comment, we are Baptists, but we don't believe everything they believe. My grandfather on my mother's side was a Methodist, and, I, and I'm not poking at any of these. I'm, I'm just giving you history. My, my grandfather, my grandmother were, were Methodist, and <clears throat> I don't know if it was in the Methodist church or the Baptist church, but both of my grandparents were, were uh, Sunday school teachers. I remember my my grandmother riding the bus back to Anson, Texas, hearing about it, and uh, she was an older woman, and and uh, she went to some kind of a reunion there, and and when she got off the bus and went to the reunion, that these gray-haired businessmen would come up and hug her because of her and my grandfather's influence in their lives that had set them. On, on paths of, of going right. My, my grandfather was a Methodist, but he changed to a Baptist 
because he said, I found that they, their doctrine was closer to what I see the Bible teaching. Now, I'm not trying to promote or run down Baptist, Methodist, anything. I'm just giving you history. That my grandfather changed from one church to another because he was trying to get closer to the Word of God. My parents were uh, in the church. My father, was, as I said, was a deacon. My mother was a secretary treasurer. I'm a Baptist, but I don't believe everything they teach. <clears throat> I don't know how many people are saying, well, I go to Newark UPC, but I don't believe everything they teach. And that's perfectly fine. If you're talking about something that we might teach that's not based in the Word of God. But if it's in the book and you won't do it and you won't follow it, you've gotten out your penknife and built a fire. I'm not talking about our doctrine, I'm talking about what's in the book. We're trying to line up what we teach with the book. That's, that's our main goal is to do that. But if, if there's something in that book and it says thou shalt or thou shalt not and thou dost or dost not in opposition, you've taken out your pen knife and you have for your own heart, for your own life, said burn Bible burn. I'm not going to let that apply to me. I'm not going to let it be mine. And every last one of us has got some place that we need to be looking at right now and saying, Lord, help me to come more in line with the scripture and put my knife away and put out the fire and do what you're telling me to do. I don't want to follow custom and I don't want to follow culture. I don't want to follow my pattern of what I have been and how my family's been. I want your word to be the guide and the guard of my life. I want to walk in the way that you'd have me to go. I want to be led by your nail-scarred hand. I don't want to burn, Bible burn. I want to walk with you. Help me, Lord, in how I appear. We talk about worship. Worship is more than raising your hands and saying a few church words. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's... I'm going to get in dangerous territory here. Some people are not going to like it, but a lot of folks don't like what I say anyhow. God has not given us as strict a dress code in the New Testament church as he did in the Old Testament law. 
I don't have to have a border of blue. But I do need to be modest. And modest is not just while I'm at church. Well, Brother Moss, that only, that only applies in certain situations. Well, burn, Bible, burn. It involves how we talk. I'm reminded of the story. Happened to be a woman. Men can be just as big to gossips as women can. But this just happened to be a woman. She came to her pastor and said, Pastor, I've got a gossip problem. Can you pray for my tongue? He said, yeah, let's shove these altars together. Here, you just stretch it out as far as it'll go and we'll pray. If it's not uplifting, if it's not verifiably true, what are we talking about it for? Burn, Bible, burn. See, there, there are more types of flames than a wood fire. You shall be, people shall know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another except when it makes you mad. Burn, Bible, burn. Honor me with your first fruits. There he goes. You knew it was coming. No. You got more first fruits than fit in your wallet. You've got energy, you've got talent, you've got time. Honor me with your first fruits. Burn, Bible, burn. See, I, I approached this pulpit this morning with a heaviness and Probably the reason I, one of the reasons I didn't get this way back in the week was I didn't need to carry that type of heaviness all those days. But I'm concerned that if we're not careful, that we can take a pen knife and go cutting through the scriptures and taking out the things we don't like and that don't fit us and that are not comfortable and, and, and we don't like and that's not what grandma did and that's, that's, uh, that's not what my, my culture is and my custom is and that's not the way I've always done it before. And we can just slice and dice and cut and slash and burn, Bible, burn. It's terrible for us. 
terrible for us. God said, Jehoiakim, you're going you're gonna to die and be unburied. There's not going to be an eternal flame over your grave. There's not going to be a great, great monument. And people come by and leave flowers. No, you're going to be thrown out where you're under the heat of the sun and the frost of the winter. Terrible for this man that he burned what was his Bible. But it was terrible for his family because there had been a great blessing that had been bestowed upon that family. And as he burned the pages of the scroll, he burned the future of his descendants. I think of those who've turned their backs on the word of God. And I've been around long enough to watch their children and their grandchildren who should have been raised with the glory of the Lord around them. And instead they don't know anything about God. <laughs> burn, Bible, burn. I don't like it, and I'm going to condemn myself, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren for decades, maybe centuries. It's your decision, but it's not all your consequences. You open that book and you're making decisions for ages. You read the word and generations are standing on the brink. Burn, Bible, burn.
Bless everybody. Find a place to pray.